the whole idea of Nero, the whole idea of these people. Remember, when Peter writes to these people, man, we're not just talking about guys going through a tough time. We're talking about people that are concerned because at any moment there's a knock at the door and somebody's taking you to an arena to face the lions or, or to take your family one by one and kill them in front of you until you give up the name of Christ. And <clears throat> you need to understand that, okay, I, I don't want to paint this too graphic for you, but I want you to understand, I want you to understand how tough it was. In, in this culture, oh, by the way, Lael, do we get that CD thing? Okay, good. In this culture, and in the culture to follow, for about the next 200 years in Christianity, Christians are going to go through some intense persecution. When, if you want a real eye-opener, pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you'll read what people have suffered for the cause of Christ. But in, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, you see things like, they would bring your entire family up, they would take the dad, and they would stand him there, and they would say, you recant the name of Jesus Christ. You give up the name of Jesus Christ. And if you don't, we're going to slay your youngest child. So you, you standing there have a decision to make. You're, and often it wasn't just a matter of, okay, I recant Jesus and I don't want anything to do with him. No, often in, in a Roman thing, they would, you would make an offering to one of their gods. So it was a serious thing. It was a thing where you were having to not just say it, but prove it. And so they would kill your youngest, and they would go to the next one, and you'd watch your kids screaming, Mom, Daddy, da-da-da-da-da, and try to walk through it that way. Uh, I don't know if any of you are watching the history series on the Bible that's being broadcast right now. <clears throat> um, I've been encouraged by a, a lot of times when they, they could choose a conservative or a liberal interpretation of it, they, they've chosen the conservative side of it. Um, and there's been some unique things within that series already that I've caught that I thought, wow, you know, that's gutsy. It's gutsy to take that view, uh, particularly in the climate that we're in within religious circles. And so, but in that thing, if you saw the one this past week with Abraham sacrificing his son, and the graphicness of the kids screaming, Daddy, Daddy, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? As he binds them up and ties them up to the altar, you know? And it's that kind of intensity that we're talking about when these people are being persecuted. And Peter's writing to these people and he's trying to encourage them to say, don't worry about the persecution. Now, that sounds flippant when you put it in context of that, but that's what Peter was saying. This is becoming a hot topic this week in the news. I don't know if you, know, you read this story. There actually, there's actually a criticism that came out this week against Mother Teresa. Because the more that they've looked into her life, the more that they, they, they realize that she could have alleviated more suffering than she did. And in some of her teachings, she actually taught that suffering was good. And now they're lamb blasting her now, saying, how dare you say suffering was good? And yet that's exactly what Peter says. That's exactly what Peter's arguing in this thing. Suffering is good. It's okay for a believer. There's not a problem with it. But we're in a culture that the second we have an acre of pain, what do we do? Take a pill. <laughs> Take a pill. We want it gone. You know, we want to feel better. So I got an acre of pain. I pull out. I mean, I got, I got Ben Gay now on a stick. Do you know what came on a stick? You don't even have to get your hand smelly anymore. You just rub it on there. with. It's like a deodorant stick. Um, I made sure that it is very separate from my deodorant. Uh, because the last thing I would want to do is grab the wrong one. So I keep them in very, very separate places. Uh, 
But that, that's the culture we're in. And Peter's writing these people, he's trying to get them to understand. No, 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 it's, it, it's okay what you're going through. And it will be okay in the end. So let's, let's jump into it a little bit. Um, Peter's a great guy because he's, he's, he's married, he has endured suffering already, and he's going to endure more suffering. Um, he's not, I, I know, okay, he's not suffering because he's married. I'm saying that he's married because it gives us insight that he's looking at a family unit. He's not saying this as an individual who doesn't have, who doesn't have a wife and a family and that kind of thing. He, he has some, some flavor reference for this thing. Let's talk about this. I've not talked about this yet, but let's talk about suffering in the Old Testament and the New Testament so we get a good picture here. In the Old Testament, a lot of what we know from suffering is from the book of Job. All right? And you and I look at the book of Job, but I want you to think about the book of Job from Job's eyes, because here's one of the things we learn. Sometimes you don't know the reason for suffering. You and I read the book of Job, we see the whole picture, so we understand why Job suffered, right? But read the book of Job through Job's eyes. Job is never told why he suffered. Job goes to his grave not knowing why he suffered. We don't think of it in those terms. But one of the things we learn in the book of Job is that sometimes we don't know why we go through what we go through. Another thing we learn from the book of Job and throughout the whole Old Testament is the idea that sometimes suffering is a result of our sin. Now that's what Job's friends accused him of, which was wrong for Job, but it's, a, it, it's illustrated throughout the Old Testament. Israel. Israel wandered in the wilderness for their sin of disobedience and griping and complaining against God. It was a result. They suffered because of their sin. The most unique thing about the Old Testament and suffering is this. Often in the Old Testament, suffering is linked to childbirth. There are a lot of analogies in the Old Testament about childbirth, labor, suffering, pain. And now I've not been through it. Didn't look that hard to me. Um, no, I know better than that. Um, I think, who was it? Carol Burnett. Oh, she described childbirth this way. Gentlemen, take your bottom lip, pull it over the top of your head. That's childbirth. Uh, that's how, you, you know, the pain that you would have. That, it's an incredibly painful process. That's the Old Testament analogy. But let's stop and think about it for a minute. But what comes out of childbirth? Life. Hope, future. That's a great picture for the issue of pain, suffering, difficulties. That's laid out in the Old Testament. So guess what? Through your pain, suffering, difficulty, hardship, what happens? Hope, life, future, all of those things are a result of going through those difficult times. In the New Testament, it's a little bit different. In the New Testament... Suffering is often linked to the cross. And if you'll think about it for a minute, at the cross you see two types of suffering. You see suffering for sin, and you see suffering, someone innocent suffering for our sin. At the cross, there's two thieves suffering for their sin. Right? And there's Christ who's suffering for our sin. An innocent suffering for the sins of others. And one of the things that you'll find is sometimes you and I suffer because of our own sin, sometimes we suffer because of the sins of other people. Those of you who have, who have raised or who have a child who has grown up and walked away from God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the impact that it makes on your family. You know the heartbreak. Those of you that have 
relatives who are doing things that have hurt your family. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you suffer because of the sins of other people, and it impacts your life. Uh, the, the, <clears throat> the other idea in the New Testament is the idea that suffering is not random. It does have a purpose. God can use anything. That's Romans 8. God can use anything for his honor and glory to them that love him. And then there's also this idea that suffering reveals what's genuine, what's real about your faith. Now, in the Old Testament rule, world, and remember this this morning, in the Jewish world, suffering was linked to the end times. So when the Jews started seeing difficulties coming, they thought the end times was coming, a Savior was coming. That's why when Jesus walks on the scene, <clears throat> all of the disciples are like, oh great, he's the Messiah, he's the kingdom, he's going to deliver us from Rome. And when he dies, they're just shattered, their world shattered. So, with that in mind now, 1 Peter, here we go. Uh, chapter 4, here's what he says. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. A pagan was just simply somebody who rejected God and Christ. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They think it's strange, or they think it's strange that you don't plunge in with them in the same flood of dissipation. I'll talk about that in a minute. And heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. All right. A lot of material. Just run through it really quick. Here's what he does. First three verses, the first four verses. Here's basically what Paul's going to lay out. He says, look, as a believer, you need to remember this. There are a lot of benefits to your salvation. He talks about it up there. He says, <clears throat> um, you don't have to live for earthly desires. Um, you're done with sin. The idea that sin doesn't have to control your life anymore. The idea that <clears throat> you're overcome, um, that you don't have to live the rest of your earthly life for evil desires. The idea that, you know what, you're not overcome by evil now. You can live according to God's spirit. God allows you. It's a benefit he gives you as a believer. And your old life is in the past. It's in the past. And he talks about this old life. Uh, he talks about what that old life was like. And notice what he says. He goes in and he says, they think it's strange that you don't plunge in with them in the same flood. Flood, judgment. Remember we talked about that last week? The idea? Because again, what's he talking about here? It's the idea of judgment. He says, what's he saying? He's saying, they think it's strange when you start saying things like, you know, I just don't want to do that. You know what? I'm just not going to go there with you. You know, I'm not really interested in going to that party. You know, I'm just not really interested in spending as much time. Why? Because all of a sudden now, you're living differently than they are, and those things don't have the same appeal, and you start going, I'm just not that interested in it. And notice what their response is. He tells them. Their response is what? They heap abuse on you. They start making fun of you. They start saying, uh, you know, da, 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 da. You know, how, you know all the stuff they say. Peter says, look, guys, that's normal. You start, you start living for God, people start wanting to put their distance and making fun of you, and that's okay. That's okay. And notice what he goes on to say. <clears throat> but they'll have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. He said, you need to remember this. They're going to have to give an account to God. 
And then he goes into what I think is the greatest section of this thing. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. So they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. All right. Uh, Lael, I got a parallel thing. Jump two blocks. There you go. If you'll look at this, there's, in, in the Greek language, this is parallel. For instance, if I say black, you would say, if I say stop, you would say, we put those together, right? So here, when you look at it, that's how this is written. And here's what it says. You're judged here by men in the body. You live here by God in the spirit. You see that? He makes those contrasts. Okay? Now, <clears throat> when you look at it, he lays out these parables. And here's what he's trying to explain to these people. Look, you are judged here by men in the body. They're judging your body. They're judging the things that you're doing now. You're not hanging with them. That's okay. Because you live here by God in the spirit. You see that? Because that's really important where we're going to go in a second. Okay? Then he talks about this idea in there about... God preached to you being dead. You who are dead. All right? So let me illustrate this. All right, let's go. That's going to drive everybody nuts, wiggling. Tell you the story. Have I ever told you this story? I don't think I've told you this story. This is supposedly a horse. Okay? I guess. It's a -a Build-A-Bear horse. So it's as good as they got. I don't know how Josh got this, but this is Josh's, isn't it? And he gave it to me one holiday or something as a present. And here's why he gave it to me. When we would get into issues at home, I would have a tendency to grab a hold of something and not let go. And I would keep saying it over and over and over and over and over again. And my kids used to say, Dad, you're beating a dead horse. (laughs) So Josh said, Dad, I'm going to give you a dead horse. So you can remember. So this is what happened. It sat by my chair in the living room. And what would happen is, whenever I would get into one of my little things, the kids would walk over, pick it up, and throw it at me to go, hey, we get it. You're beating a dead horse. All right? So then it became this little thing in our house where it was in our living room the whole time. And any time anybody ever got onto something and wouldn't let go, we'd throw the, we'd throw the horse at them. And so that's how, that's how we handle it in our house. So it was one of those things where, you know, Josh would get on something, we'd throw the horse at him. Or Jimmy would get on something, we'd throw the horse at him. Jean, she just, we never threw the horse at her because she just, she, she didn't get into all of it. Huh? She's always right. Yeah, she was always right. Yeah, like Nancy. Um, she was, <laughs> I mean, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, she just didn't get into because she would walk away. She wouldn't get in the middle of it. You know, she was like, I've said what I need to say, I'm done where we would go back and forth and back and forth. Finally, somebody gets so tired, they'd throw the horse at the person, and then we'd all get the message, and we laughed, and that's how we handled it. I say that to say this. I want this to illustrate what, what, what Peter's talking about here, because there's what he's talking about, and there's an application of what he's talking about that is essential to us. And if you can grasp it, it'll really change a lot of how you handle stuff. Okay? <clears throat> Here's what Peter's saying. In the body, <clears throat> you are like this. I know it was never alive, but let's assume it was. It's now dead. Okay? Here's what he says. In the body, you are dead. In the spirit, you are alive. You get that? So here's Peter's argument. Christ preached to you 
You accepted it and you became dead in the body. Paul says it this way. Dead unto sin, alive unto God. So you're dead in the body, but you're alive in the spirit. You get that? Okay, everybody with me so far? So think about this for a minute. If I'm dead in the body, and I come up to this thing that's dead in the body, and I say, you're stupid. How does it respond? dead, it doesn't. Peter's arguing that you're worried about what these people are going to do to your body. You're worried about being pulled into the arena. If you're dead in the body, but you're alive to God, what do you care what they do to your body? It's just a body. That's Peter's argument to these people in dealing with the persecution. He said, stop worrying about what's going to happen to your body. Because you're alive to God. And that's what's important. And one day, God will judge these people who are being alive in their body, and he will judge the living and the dead. But right now, you're worried about what's going to happen to your body. And Peter's arguing, look, you're dead in the body, you're alive to God. So don't get so bent out of shape about what happens to your body. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the takeaway for you and I. If you and I can embrace this, and really genuinely embrace this, and be dead in the body, and alive to God, then here's a question. You will find in your life that a lot of the things that get you bent out of shape will stop getting you bent out of shape. It bothers you right now. Somebody comes up to you and says, well, I don't think you should have done that. You're like, huh, I don't know who they think they are. I don't. And you, what happens? You start to burr up inside. Why? You ready for this? Because you're too alive to yourself. If you're genuinely dead to yourself, say whatever you want. I'm dead to myself. So I come home. <clears throat> I, work, I, I work all afternoon. I decide to take off a little time, I make my wife a meal, I spend a couple hours in the kitchen, and she walks in late, and she says, well, I'm not that hungry, and then I go, well, how dare you? You know how I... And that, why? Because I'm all offended and bent out of shape, why? Because I'm alive to myself. But if I'm dead to myself, and she looks at me and goes, I'm not hungry, okay. You can't hurt somebody that's dead. Get it? You get the point? Well, what happens in a relationship is we do it. My wife mastered this when I started to learn to cook. Because I told her I was going to learn to cook. And my wife will tell you, in in her heart of hearts, she said, this is going to last a week. (laughs) So she came up with a plan. Don't think think she's not not manipulative. Okay? Because she is. I'm telling you what. I'm telling you what. There's a fiery, hot-headed, red-headed temperament that it can be manipulative and get what she wants. She knows. She's no dummy. Don't let her kid you. She, I mean, she doesn't let five-year-olds manipulate her all day long. You think I stand a chance? You know, yeah, you stand your ground. She's doing fine. But here's what she figured out. She figured out that when I started to cook, if she criticized me, what was going to happen? 
I was going to throw in the towel and stop. So I'm not kidding. For the first year, I don't think I could. I think I could have just thrown burnt toast on burnt hamburger on burnt cheese on top of salmon. She would have gone, this is great, honey. Because she just decided that she was going to do everything she can, and we're going to get to this in a second, to overlook it and to realize the effort that he was making was far more important, more important than the meal. And so that's what she started to do. And after about a year, I, be, I got a little more confident. And I knew she was lying through her teeth when she'd go, oh, yeah, it's good. I like it. And she did it for about a year. And then as we started to develop the relationship more and more and more and more and more, then here's what happened. Then she took it, and she took it one step further, and I started getting a whole lot more creative and taking a whole lot more adventure and risk. And then it kind of snowballed on us. And I started, and she started saying, you know, I think you could have done this. I think you could have. Hey, visitor. <laughs> uh, hey, good. All right. Huh? Yeah. No, I, I talked to Todd about <laughs> I getting in here. So he came. Yeah. Good seeing you, man. So anyway, so, so then here's what she started doing. She started encouraging. And then it was like, well, I think you can tweak this. I think you can tweak this. Now we can actually sit down. She can be honest about it. I can be honest about it. We can have this conversation. And... She can encourage in everything else. But here's the issue. I had decided that I was going to be dead to myself and be honest about her criticism. She had decided she was not going to get so bent out of shape about what you have prepared that it was more about the heart behind what you were doing. And we had two people that were in that kind of relationship. And so now I'm not afraid to try anything. I really am not. You know... I mean, the other day, I opened a can of, of blackberries, black raspberry, what's black raspberry? Black raspberries, whatever. We'd had, it exposed to, it expired in like 2007. And I said, look, baby, I can do something with this. And it had been sealed. So I made a sauce, and we got on the internet and made a sauce and all this kind of stuff. And we were like, well, that was pretty good. Now I've got to go out and buy blackberry stuff now. But... Now that we know, and, and I'm, I'm not afraid to do that because i got a dog that will eat anything. So if we don't like it, and we all got leftovers, so we make so. But here's my point. My point is what we have is we have, we're working hard towards trying to be dead to self and not being so sensitive on those things. So when you hear in church, you know, somebody goes, huh, did you hear what so-and-so said to so-and-so? It's really important how you respond. Because the way you respond is either going to feed them or it's going to shut them down. So a lot of times I'll say stuff like, yeah, you know, I know they've been going through a rough time. It really doesn't matter, does it? We've all had those kind of days. Why? Because it's not about being alive to yourself. And if, listen, if you, can, if you can really embrace this principle, you think about the way it will change the way it works. When that person who grates on you because they, they're out to get you and all of a sudden you're dead to yourself and you're going, you know, they want to treat me like that, okay, no big deal. Because if you're dead, you don't feel it. If you're dead, you don't respond to it. If you're dead, you barely even hear it. But remember, there's a flip side to this. You're alive to God, which means what? You respond in a godly way. Because you're alive to God. And that's what he goes into the next phrase. Here's what he said. He goes up and he says this way. The end of all things is near. Remember I said they were always worried about the end times? So Peter addresses this, and he says, look, I, I, I get that the end times are near. And he says this, therefore, 
I'm going to tell you how to act in the end times. And here's what he said. Be clear-minded. Act. Don't react. Yeah, a lot of people think the end times are coming, and I've always believed the end times have been since the day Christ left the earth and will be for, if the planet exists for another 10,000 years, it'll have, you could go any time in history and it's the end time. I genuinely believe that. I genuinely believe Christ could come at any time. And it says here, therefore be clear-minded. Act, don't react. And self-controlled. And pray. Pray, not worry, pray. And he goes on, above all else, love each other deeply. Remember, this is Peter talking. Peter, the guy who, had, who his last conversation with Christ was, do you love me? Do you love me? And he's going, look, one thing I've learned, love deeply. And he goes on to say this. He says, love covers them all to the sins. It's a quote from Proverbs. <clears throat> it's the idea of this. Love looks past it. So love doesn't focus on the meal. Love focuses on the purpose behind why somebody made me a meal. Love focuses on, I think, the best of them, not the worst of them. So if my wife forgets my birthday, I think the best about that, not the worst. She's never done that. I've forgotten hers, but she hasn't forgotten mine. I thought it was like two days later. That was a bad deal. That's the most expensive birthday in the history of our marriage. Uh, I, all I remember is I was walking into, we didn't have the money. I was walking into stores, I handed them a credit card, and I said, whatever. Because um, she came home for lunch, and, there, and, and I hadn't said anything, because I thought it was two days later. And I, this is after I had just drug her from Virginia with all of her family to Wisconsin, where it was just the two of us. And she had just survived her first Wisconsin winter. And it's her birthday and that was a big deal in her family. And she came home for lunch, and I've got, like, soup, and I hadn't had a card, I hadn't had anything. And, she, and I could tell something was wrong. <laughs> she didn't know what it was. And then she goes, and, I, and we actually had an argument over what day she was born. And I said, it's not today. And she said, it is. And I remember I walked into my boss, and I said, i got to be off the rest of the afternoon. I drove around Whitewater buying anything and everything I could buy uh, to try to make her happy. Uh, it was more the thought that I had forgotten it than anything else. But here's what he says. He said, love, it covers them all too. Look, it, it, love each other deeply. You look past the stuff. Look, you heard me say it. Your spouse is not your, your enemy. Okay? Your kids aren't out to wreck your life. They're not that smart yet. You know? Really? They're just, being, they're just being kids making dumb decisions. And they need guidance and direction. You know, love really works with that kind of stuff. And also, he goes on to say this. He said, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In this culture, there weren't motels. So what would happen is you would be at home at night with your family, and there'd be a knock at the door, and someone would say, hey, look, we're coming through town. You've got room for us. And the culture of the day said, you opened your house and said, come on in. And sometimes then they would leave in the morning. Sometimes they would reimburse you. Sometimes they wouldn't. And what was happening is, it was happening so much that, that people were taking advantage of it. And they weren't reimbursing people. And, and people were feeling used. And so people started going, well, I'm not going to let anybody in my house. And Peter says, no, 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 no. 
Offer hospitality to everyone. You have an opportunity to minister when those people are in your home. That's your goal as a believer, so open your doors. Okay? I'm going to say this because I think this is an issue. Some of you have stopped having people over because you're more concerned about your house than people. We need to get to the point that we don't care what our house looks like. We would rather have people in it than making sure it looks right to have people in it. I can't stress this enough. I can't stress the number of times people have said, well, you know, my house isn't really, but come on over anyway. And then they've been like, we need to do that more often. We went through that this summer. My wife was like, well, I don't know. I I don't know if we can have it. And we finally got to, I don't care. I don't care if you like it. I don't care if you don't like it. Uh, I don't care if it's crowded. I don't care if it didn't get dusted. She does. I don't. You know, it was more important that we have people over. People are more important than things. Oh, yeah, Pastor, I believe that. Really? Then who was the last time you had people over at your house? Why didn't you have people over at your house? Well, because you're worried about things. Be honest. Be honest. Because that's, that's what we've developed in this culture, and it's insane. He's saying, look, open your house up. In that culture, you open it up to the strangers who came through. And he said, and by the way, did you notice how he added what he added to be hospitable? Show hospitality how? With no grumbling. I can't believe we've got to clean this up. So your wife looks at you and says, women, by the way, if you haven't figured this out, you'd be amazed what we clean up if we know people are coming over. That's when my shop gets clean. My wife, she's already said, we're going to have people over this summer, aren't we? And I would love to say it's because she had a good time, and I know she did, but she has an ulterior motive. I told you, she's got that manipulative streak. She knows. Okay, now you tell me it's not true. That I won't clean stuff up. That the, that's why we like to have people other. Yeah. Uh, you like people having over because it's good we do. But yeah, okay. She really, I really do love her. I mean, you know, we have a great, huh? <laughs> we do. Yeah, you love me. Yeah, you know, you saw me in college and said, that's what I want. Uh, <laughs> and now look at what you got. Ta-da. Here we go. <laughs> and then she got glasses. No, uh, all right, here we go. Notice what he says. And this is what you guys were talking about in the testimony. Look at what he said. Each one of you should use whatever gifts you receive to serve others. You can bring a magazine into work, bring it in. You can talk to a coworker, talk to a coworker. You could take somebody to lunch. You can drop a Snickers bar off at a desk of somebody who's going through a difficult day. Whatever, wherever God's got you, use whatever talents, gifts in you. Every one of you sitting in here has a talent, gift, ability, whatever. And 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 some of you. You're like me. You can, you can talk to people, then talk to people. <clears throat> and some of you, you're just like, like mechanical people. Then do something mechanical. And, and, and some of you, you, have, you, know, you, you do all this crafty stuff. I mean, that's an incredible gift and talent. Use it for God's glory. You know, it's just what I do on Sunday is just as important as when those ladies got up here and sewed a whole bunch of pillows and took them down to Ronald McDonald House. It's ministry. 
to ministry. And that's what God wants all of us to do wherever we are. Minister. That's what he says. He said, last days are coming. Minister. Use your gifts. And then he goes on to say this. If anyone, sir, or if anyone speaks, he does it as one speaking the very words of God. Remember what I said? When people start saying things to a dead person, how do you respond? You're alive to God. So you speak the kind of things that God would want you to speak. They make fun of you. What do you do? Turn the other cheek. Matthew, the Beatitudes, bless them. You do good to them. They treat you wrong. Okay, kids, listen up. Your brother or sister treats you wrong. How do you respond? You ready for this? Do something nice for them. Right or wrong? Is that not what the Bible teaches? Somebody in school starts making fun of you, starts picking on you, and you want to do what? <laughs> you want to punch him in the nose? You want to hit him? You want to do it? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. No. They keep doing it, you go and talk to a teacher. Oh, well, then I'll think I'm a tattletale. I want to handle it on my own. I trust you. That, trust me, that will not end well. Will not end well. You're learning on how you're going to handle that stuff as you get older. Because, by the way, people pick on your mom and dad, too. If anyone serves, he does it in the strength God provides. Why? So that God in all these things may be praised through Christ. To him be glory and power both forever now and forevermore. And then here's, here's how he wraps it up. He says it this way. He says, look, your goal and my goal, your goal and my goal is to glorify God. In the way we love, the way we serve, the way, we, the way that we respond when we're to be dead people. Dead in the body, alive unto God. So this week, here's my challenge to you. As we go throughout the week, here's my challenge. May the world see you and I live it differently. When they look at us, may they desire to follow our Christ. I read an interesting quote, but it's not somebody I read a lot, but Gandhi. I thought it was a fascinating quote. Here's what he said. He said, uh, I'm going to try to paraphrase it here. I, no, I better read it. I got it somewhere. He said, I like, what, how did he say that? Oh, I'll remember it. Oh, here's what he said. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Because they are so unlike your Christ. Wow. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Because they are so unlike your Christ. I would love to think that if he looked at our lives this week, he would say, I like your Christ. And I think you act like your Christ. That's the challenge for us. Because we have a world that's watching. And we have a world that needs Christ. And we have a world that needs to see hope and different and all that. And one of the ways that's going to come is through the suffering, the difficulties, the hardships that come into our lives in the workplace and in our neighborhoods and with our families.
let's reflect Christ well this week. And let him use us. In whatever ways, with whatever gifts, whatever talents God's given us. And let him be glorified in all of it. Let's pray.